In the future, roving bands of comic book podcasts will savage the wasteland, once known as the internet. One podcast, the Grawlix podcast, may not be the biggest, may not be the funniest, may not be the most well-spoken. Wait, what was my point again? Oh yes, the Grawlix podcast. Listen to it at GrawlixPodcast.com. That's G-R-A-W-L-I-X podcast.com. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bullspit. Welcome, Moose Pack, to an all-new legendary episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host and man on the mic, Moose. Joining me today to talk about his career and his autobiography, Son of a Junk Man, My Life, from the West Bottoms of Kansas City to the Bright Lights of Hollywood, the legendary Mr. Ed Asner. How do you do? I'm doing great. How are you, Mr. Yeah. Asner? I'm still trying to figure out what the hell the name of your your uh, your program is. <laughs> it's Bullspit. B U L L. S P I T. S P. Oh, Bullspit. Bullspit right? with Moose. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm sure you got a lot of that in Omaha. <laughs> I'm about three quarters of the way through reading your autobiography. And I got to say, so far, it's probably one of the funniest autobiographies I've had the pleasure of reading. Really? I had no idea we were making jokes. <laughs> it's just the way that, like, the, the your delivery on you know, how you talk about your life. And you know, it's not just, I was born in Kansas city and I went and did this. I mean, you have, you have that very human delivery to it. Good. I'm delighted to hear that. Uh, if only the fucking thing would sell. <laughs> then maybe I could look at, look back on it and say, I made money. I say, I'm telling everyone I know about it. So, well, how did you happen to uh, come across it? I stumbled across it online. Oh, really? And oh, that's good. You know, the 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 son of a junk man kind of jumped out at me because that's similar to you know what I did for a while. You know, just running around picking up scrap and yeah, make you know, you know, when times are tough, that's what you do. You make money how you make money and. It's a great business. There's always money in junk. Yeah. There's always money in, in finding a use for what other people think they can't field anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I got more junk in my house now than I ever had in my life before. Yeah, and, and when I die, which could be nice to uh, tomorrow. Oh, let's hope not. I pity whoever has to go through my shit. <laughs> it does give credence to that one man's junk is another man's treasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. So, uh, why'd you decide to sit down and just write your uh, life story out? I mean, just you wake up one day and say, I'm going to tell everyone my life story. No, uh, 
I I was friends with this with this playwright Sam Joseph. And I I did um, I did a play a play of his, and he kept dogging me to write my autobiography. I agreed to his series of endless questions. I was not that happy with the result because I, I like a narrative flow to whatever I do. So I had a friend who was doing letters for me. Now he volunteered to put it into some kind of narrative form. I said, do it. So he wrote that first part, and I liked his writing. And to cover up the rest of it, I came in with the remainder of Sam's questions, which filled the latter half of the book. So it's kind of a mishmash. And you uh, you got the benefit of both. Well, and yeah, the narrative, I think, is what makes it fun, because it's, you, you get the benefit as the reader just sitting down and listening to somebody tell you their story. Yeah. And with somebody like you who has been in entertainment for as long as you have, we can kind of superimpose you as the narrator and hear, you know, you telling the story. So it's it's really easy to picture you essentially reading this book to us. So does uh, does Charlie know you? No, I had uh, emailed him to like I found I found him as uh, one of your contacts because you had voiced Hudson the gargoyle in Gargoyles, uh-huh. and you know you you've been at a bunch of my favorite shows, and I, I've wanted to interview you for a while, and I was like, okay, how do I you know how do I get a hold of him? Well, then I happened to find your uh, publisher's uh, information, so I sent him an email. He's like, uh, so through messages back and forth, we got this set up. I was like, all right. Like, it was a total swing for the fences. It was what? So It was a total swing for the fences. Like, I honestly did not think I was going to get this interview at all. And then he's like, yeah, we can do it on this day at this time. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> you know, I just sent out some pictures yesterday. I do it every day, but I think yesterday I sent out a picture. And instead of, I, I didn't use the word gargoyle. I used vampire. So I really fucked up. <laughs> I hope Hudson forgives me. The terribly indiscreet mistake I made. Well, it, just got, it, it definitely makes it one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. But it, well, you, you just can't find good blood these days. No. It's definitely in short supply. Mm-hmm. You have led a very long and illustrious career. I mean, from stage to screen, and then voiceover, back to screen, a mm-hmm. little bit of voiceover, and now you're back to screen again. All of that, and while you were doing all that, at one point you were SAG president. I mean, you've yeah. had a very busy life. Well, I'm on the SAG board now. It's still a pain in the ass. How much? Uh, how much of the uh, 
SAG board has changed from the 80s to now? Like, Well, right now we're in the midst of a topsy-turvy because uh, our medical plan got uh, shot down uh, in terms of uh, it's, it's refunding our, our, our members who, uh, who bought into the plan with a, a certain agreed upon formula, which would count residuals, then because I, I can't even tell you where it fails. See, all those people who sign on for residuals, um, that's been retracted. And that, that agreement no longer holds true. So people who thought they were covered medically are no longer coved because the residuals don't count. Damn. So it's a, it's a really fucked up mess. Jesus. Back in the 80s, early 90s, you got blacklisted for a very, uh, I'd call it lighthearted political commentary you made. And... Like, as I was reading about this in the book, based on today's standards, what you said was nothing. Well, when you compare it to our recently departed precedent, it would be nothing. I didn't, I didn't grab women's crotches. Yeah, you basically said, uh, you know, these guys chose a government, leave them, leave them the hell alone. You know? Yeah, that's what I said. And... That didn't please Mr. Uh, What's-His-Name. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, my memory fails me. Oh, no, you're fine. It's weird to think that, given the world we live in now, something so innately innocent then could screw which, you so hard. Should have should have been the American way to begin with. You know, just leave people alone. Yeah. You know, yeah. instead of going out and... You know, we, have yet, we have yet to discover that truth in Afghanistan. Yeah. We keep, we keep sending our guys in there to get shot at. You know, instead of minding our own business and letting other countries dictate for themselves. Yeah. What would you say has been your greatest um, accomplishment in your career? Survival. Survival and longevity. <laughs> yeah, not being driven enough to. Um, uh, I was like a barge in my career, as opposed to a speedboat. Just taking the slow and steady route. Yeah. Well, I, I've often wondered, you know, jokingly, if you and uh, Betty White have a bet as to who's going to stop acting first. <laughs> She'll never stop. <laughs> She'll be kicking and screaming as they lower her in the grave. I do love how you describe her in the book. I, I, I feel that's very spot on. I mean, that... What did I say? Uh, it's like she's a spunky, just just this lovable, spunky, just out there, like, person. And it's like... That's I could, what I said. It's like, I, I, I can see and that. I, and I, <laughs> I endorse it even more so now. She's a real gas lady. Oh, I believe it. It's interesting. It's interesting to see who 
There are only three of us surviving. Gavin McLeod, Betty White, and me. Yeah, I mean, you know, you wouldn't think that there must have been something in the water because <laughs> the longevity from back then doesn't seem as, as you know like it would be like we should. And I I don't mean to say that you guys should all be dead. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just that. Well, I'm not gonna die for you. <laughs> Well, thank you. Don't, yeah, please don't die for me. <laughs> but I mean, for me to reach Betty's longevity, that's going to be a quite a quite a stretch. But I mean, there's you know you and Gavin and Betty White and I mean Dick Van Dyke's up there. I mean, you guys are all like you, you tapped don't into something. The shows Dick well, Van Dyke ain't my show. <laughs> no, I know he's not your show. But uh, as far as like actor longevity goes. You guys all have this. You tapped into something for longevity's sake. Wow! And you found like this, you know, secret to life, and it's amazing. The secret to life is work. <laughs> Get out and work your ass off. That's right. That's right. You got to keep working. My uh, my father refused to stop working in the junk business. Because he, he knew the firemen up, up the block. And the firemen would go along and they'd finally retire. And they'd be dead a year after they retired. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what this It's not working that's kill, that kills you. It's retirement. Yeah. And see, that, that, that's one of the things. Like, and they, they, they weren't that active anyway. <laughs> it, was a, it was a sleepy firehouse. One of the things I really like about your career is your fans span generations. Because you have fans from your time as Lou Grant. You have fans from your 90s voiceover work. And now you have newer fans from, like, Elf Forward. So you have, like, generational fans I know, I, I find that in a mail every day. It's, and, and it, uh, it's, it's pleasing, I don't care. And you get to play Santa Claus. Huh? Said, and you get to be Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I like my Santa Claus. He's a, he's a real dealer. J- just looking at everything you've done, it's, it, it's rare to see somebody who, knocks that i mean you've had you've been a part of some major hits i mean roots i mean we're, we're talking some major successes here you know i mean starting i mean going from roots forward we're talking major uh hits we're, we're not talking like you know some slouch work that you just were a part of you know and you you've worked with like john wayne which takes me to another thing in your book that I wanted to ask your advice on. Um, you had mentioned, because you were having troubles with a scene. and having trouble what? You were having troubles with a scene, and you had to tell yourself that John Wayne didn't exist. How, how, how do you process that? Like, when you're working with, you know, the star, how do you 
basically imagine that they don't exist in that scene. Well, Howard Hawks was the director. Uh, I don't know. I I opened my mouth as we went over the first scene. And I kept making suggestions about change of dialogue, change of word here, change of word there. And uh, I didn't pay attention to Wayne. He didn't say a goddamn thing. <laughs> and um, so Hawks, I guess, took most of my attention. And when he welcomed my changes on dialogue, or stresses, I should say, I, I didn't pay that much attention to Wayne. So then later on, so Hawk said, well, you know, you go ahead and relax however you want. It's going to be a while before we get the scene set up. So I'm out there wandering around, looking like I lost my best friend. And um, finally I said, well, I think I ought to go over to where we're shooting. So I started heading towards the scene and there's Wayne, he's on his Appaloosa, and he's teaching its tricks to back up and go forward and back up and go forward. And he's looking right at me as I'm walking towards him, and he's saying, where's that New York actor? Where's that New York actor? I keep walking on and saying, you mean me? And he kind of mumbled, yeah, I guess. And he, I, he never said what he wanted to talk about. <laughs> so we went into the scene, and I guess he tested me. Uh, he, I had given him a bag of money, whatever, senator, whatever it was, and he was returning it. So one of the times he returned it to me, I dropped it. And I went in the door of the, of the house to uh, emerge for the next rehearsal. I could hear him saying, yeah, you better get him a catcher's mitt. He seems to be having trouble. So when he threw it to me again, I, I caught it without even looking at it. And it was an ace, ace shot of catching. So then I threw it to him and my evil mind was of such a nature that uh, I threw it just so that he uh, he couldn't catch it. <laughs> and uh, he, he made some kind of knelt or bowed in apology and let it go with that. But um, when I made that catch, he then, uh, I could hear him say, yeah, you, you would tell the Dodgers about him. The Dodgers were in the World Series at that time. You'd tell the Dodgers about him. They could use him out there in right field. Jeez. And uh, he was right. They could have. <laughs> but I think they won, I won, the, they won the series anyway. So anyway, it was back and forth. Later on, uh, almost after I had done, oh, so I began working on the scene with Wayne, where he tells me he can't carry out my uh, 
my uh, quest to have Bob Mitchum shot. They got that. They got that shot. Then they run, turn the camera around, and shoot me. And Hawks decides to take me for a little stroll and uh, tell me what's bothering him. So before he even opens his mouth, he says, I said something like, I, I know what's totally off. I said, I'm, I'm acting like I'm a little schlepper and uh, John Wayne is John Wayne. And what I've got to realize is that I've got money that can buy and sell John Wayne. And uh, I should should not betray any lowering of my person because of him. You understand me? Yeah. Yeah, let's try that. Let's try that, Hawk said. So I tried that on the first rehearsal. It failed like a million dollars. And he said, just do it like that. And that's how I did it. Nice. So, do you prefer stage or screen work? I I say you need stage to learn how to act. The more stage you do, the more you're learning how to act. But the joy of putting it on film is is uh, is hard to beat. I see. Uh, once it's on film, you get it. You, you have it for uh, all time. That's right. For the longest time, I've thought cutting your chops on uh, stage made sense because you learn how to work an audience. You get that direct feedback, and it makes working on screen a tad easier because you know when you're not getting that initial feedback, well, that not initial immediate feedback. And you know how to project. You know how to emote. And because on stage you have to make everything bigger, and you, you know you're you're playing to the back of the house. So yeah. when you move yeah. to screen, you're you already know how to do that. So it's just a matter of dialing it back. You can you can really you can take a word and you can dandle it on your knee for about five minutes, which you can't do in the film. Yeah, but um, if it's working, then of course you can. But you you never know until you've tried it, stretching it out, trying trying it, testing the waters, testing the water, seeing what works, what doesn't work. That's that's the stage for you. And then finally comes the time where you gotta you gotta wrap it all up. I present it with a pink bow on it. Uh, when you wrote your autobiography, you mentioned that your voiceover work in the 90s was kind of like a low point for you because that's when you were blacklisted. Yeah. Um, have you kind of made peace with that now that you've had a chance to see the impact that it's had on other people? Or are, do you still think that that's, you know... No, I'm... Now, I'm not in a position to, to be blacklisted anymore. I'm, I don't belong to any revolutionary group, so to speak. 
So there's nothing they can do to. They they may get me some of the language I used in this interview I gave you, but other than that, there's, ah, there's it's nothing only they human. can really nail me on. <laughs> I got to say, I was a little surprised when you said it was a low point for you, because as a fan and viewer, a lot of the characters that you voiced then meant, you know, meant so much to like that generation that it, it just seemed weird to see it called like your low, you know, your, your low point. Well, I I want your voice over because I couldn't get live. So that was the reason I turned to the, the voiceover and, and found that there was a whole world out there that uh, nobody was telling me about. And uh, the, a whole group of people who uh, were um, returned practitioners and uh, who tended to be the steady eddies in voiceover. And it was uh, not easy to break into that crowd, but I had no alternative. Well, it seemed to, you know, work out for you pretty well. I mean, like I said, you got gargoyles out of the deal. The first break I got was Captain Planet, which was uh, uh, Ted, uh, uh, what's his name, Uh, Ted Turner's responsibility. That's how I broke into voiceovers. See, I actually just got done talking uh, about Captain Planet with one of the uh, storyboard directors. Who? Uh, Larry Houston. He was a storyboard director on Captain Planet. Uh-huh. So that was fun. I had fun there. See, it was a good show. It, you know, it, it taught about being eco-friendly without, like, hammering the message home. You know, it, it kind of had that, like, hidden message. That yeah. kids were just like, oh, this is a good show. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, that's what, okay, I, I see what you were doing. Uh-huh. Had fun. You, you move over to Gargoyles, and you get the old curmudgeon Gargoyle. Yeah. Which is my personal favorite, so that, that, that makes this interview a little bit more fun. Uh- <laughs> and I found that um, when you got into the Gargoyles arena... You begin to find that um, directors control a lot of the uh, picking and culling that goes on with voiceover. I see, yeah, and it, it, it seemed they wanted a very star-studded cast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had Keith David as Goliath, uh, Jonathan Frakes, John Reese davies was in it. I mean, you, you had, like, top-tier talent for this... Disney show. It seemed kind of odd at the time. Mm-hmm. It was lightning in a bottle. I couldn't have. Th- I can't think of a better cast to have put that show together. Well, I certainly enjoyed listening to the rest of them. Oh yeah, I mean, you guys together were fantastic. You know, and I don't know what the chemistry, you know, behind the scenes. Very were nice like. guy was the creator of it, but uh, it was fun. I certainly enjoyed. The rest of the players. The, the only thing I worried about at the time was was my was the burr I was using authentic enough. It sounded authentic enough. Good. 
Good laddie. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my favourite. <laughs> um, and now, most recently, you've been in another, like, instant cult classic. You're in Cobra Kai. Well, I, I, I'm barely in it. Like, I saw the back of your head in, in your first appearance. I was like, oh shit, that's Ed Asner. Uh-huh. You know, and so did you audition for that, or did they approach you and say, hey, we have a role with you in mind? No, they came to me. That's awesome. And that was right on the heels of, uh, what the hell was the name of the one I did? Dead to me? Yeah. I was right on the heels of Dead to Me. So yeah, you're just, you're still just cranking the stuff out. Well, I got a good crank. <laughs> just keep it oiled. You got a good crank, you got to use it. So I know some younger guys that uh, their crank isn't that good. Well, it, uh, I get letters now about Cobra Kai. And, you know, what I did there was, you know, to me, so minor that I'm, I'm amazed that it's getting the response that it get, I end up getting. Well, it goes back to that, you know, the, there are no small roles. Yeah, yeah. You know, and especially in an ensemble show like Cobra Kai, where, you know, everybody has a piece to play. And in your case, your character is... Uh, essentially the driving force for Johnny to prove I can stand on my own two feet. Yeah. You know, I don't need the old man's money. I can do this on my own. So that's something that a lot of people can relate to in that I don't need help from anybody. I can do this. Until the pandemic starts. And then everybody needs help from everybody. Yeah. Wonderful pandemic. Yeah, the, the the keep you at home every goddamn day for ever. Yeah, you you should be writing a journal of the plague year, aren't you? Uh, man, the, the the stuff that I've my journal will be boring as hell. Woke up, fed the kids, mm. told them to go outside. They came back inside. We started remote learning today. Yay! <laughs> I get a play teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're learning in school. Yeah. I tell you, I mean, yeah, th- well, this I'm pandemic... I'm wondering how long I'm going to be able to maintain my pose. I say, uh, th- th- this pandemic, it, uh, it, it, it made everyone, uh, caught everyone on their toes, man. You, you had to learn things that you didn't quite know before. I uh, I I read the New York Times, so it's always interesting to me to watch the heavily occluded spots where the mortality was the greatest move slowly across the country, and ending in California, and then finally it's now in Alaska and Hawaii. Well, then you get states like us here in Nebraska, where it just kind of hovered for a while because yeah. Well, well, I got you. What'd you think of that Super Bowl? 
That's the most boring Super Bowl I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Unbelievable. And it certainly speaks well for the agent, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm waiting to see who Brady gets drafted to next for another ring. Yeah. They, uh, they ought to let him choose the team he wants. Let that be his Super Bowl reward. From now on, it's Brady can just be like, all right, I'm taking this team to the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. No, they they got to do better. Uh, uh, you know, coming from Kansas City, I... I, uh, that defense just so sucked. Unbelievable. Yeah, just a defense I, didn't I show him up. charging and... up the middle, and on both his wings, he was open as, as, a, as a balloon. Well, I mean, you've used balloons to move houses. That's right. <laughs> I credit him with my success. <laughs> I guess he scored page for my book. Yeah. So what 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 was that experience like? I mean, you you got to be part of arguably one of the most popular Pixar movies of recent times. I mean, Up was everywhere after it came out. I I I was just so proud of it, so glad of it, and. It, it uh, Pixar was going through changes at that time. By the way, they uh, they were not that settled. They came out of it settled, but uh, I was one lucky son of a bitch. I tell you. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better role. No, no, it was a delight to be a part of. So you got to play a mentor to a little kid. Yeah. You got your own personal journey throughout the movie. You know, I mean... I lost the most beautiful girl in the world. Yeah, it's... The movie had it all. I mean, love, loss, laughter. It it covered all the bases. Yeah. And when you're looking for a film, you really can't ask for anything else. I'm just so goddamn honored to be a part of it. I mean, grant I deserve it. But uh, you don't always get what you deserve. No, sometimes you just get a kick in the ass. That's right. Well, that kick in the ass felt good. <laughs> so before I let you go, do you have any uh, projects coming out that you can talk about? No, I'm uh, doing uh, one of the two shows I do. It's called God Help Us. And I have to tell you, I... Like God. So you have a God complex? No, but I people want to worship me, and I, you know, I have to shrug them off. <laughs> well, Mr. Asner, this has been an absolute honor to chat with you today. Well, thank you. I feel the same way. And listeners, you can pick up his autobiography, Son of a Junk Man. Wherever books are sold, I got mine on Amazon. You can follow him on Twitter, which I highly recommend. It's it's a very fun follow. And worked uh, for Trump, didn't it? <laughs> up until they shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And listeners, you can find the links to everything I just mentioned in the episode description. You can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. And, you know, just once again, Mr. Asner, thanks for coming on and, uh... Ed, 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 you asshole. Okay, fine, Ed. Thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. You can't learn from me. (laughs) Uh... Thanks for coming on and shooting the shit with me. It's nice. It was nice. And I dropped my pants. <laughs> and listeners, there's a lot of good podcasts out there. And unless you heard it here, it's probably just a load of bullspit. So until next time, take it easy. Thank you, man. Oh, thank you. Ooh-wee. That sure was some bullspit. But I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time.